There are many reasons why I love scripture. There's many reasons why we all love scripture. Uh, the list would be very long. One particular reason though I love scripture is because uh, of how honest it is about the people in the Bible. Um, godly men, men that we might say are heroes of the faith, men like um, Abraham, uh, David, or Peter and the apostles, um, very godly men, but the scripture also uh, shows us that they're not perfect people. In fact, it often shows us their weaknesses. Their, and not only their weaknesses, but also maybe their ignorance. And not only their ignorances, but also their sin and their failures. And uh, whether it's wrong or right, I don't know, but that comforts me. <laughs> and I'm sure that that comforts many of you as well. Um, it's comforting, I think, because we too are like that. If we're honest with ourselves, uh, we too are not perfect. And, and uh, even the most, godliness among, the most godly among us um, have failures and shortcomings and blind spots or, or sin and sin and failures that we wrestle with. Uh, there, is, there is no perfect Christian. There are very dependent Christians, dependent on our Savior. Uh, and this, is, this is true of us, um, our, our sin and our weakness, probably far more than we would like. Um, but what we're going to see today as we look at our passage of Scripture, we're, we're going to look at a pretty interesting section of Scripture that really focuses on the failures, the, the ignorance of the disciples. So as you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been, we have been going through chapter 9, and I get the privilege of wrapping up um, this chapter uh, for us um, today. And what's pretty neat, um, actually, no, I'm not wrapping it up. Ben is wrapping it up next week. But what's pretty neat about this chapter is so far in the Gospel of Luke, we've been seeing Jesus revealing himself. He's been on uh, his, he's been doing his public ministry and he has been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been performing miracles and he's been revealing himself more and more as this, this amazing person, this, this son of God, this, this, this Messiah. And while Jesus is revealing himself, he is all in the kingdom. He is also raising up disciples. And um, it's a pretty neat uh, pattern we see in Jesus' life, his pattern of discipleship. Um, and he has been having these men live with him and walk with him and observe him in his process of, of raising them up to continue on his work. And we're at chapter 9 is this kind of, there's kind of a change here. The disciples are they're kind of transitioning from being kind of in the background to now they're kind of coming to the foreground. Jesus is started off in chapter nine. Jesus sends out the 12. He gives them authority and power over, over all demons. And he sends them out to preach the good news of the kingdom. And um, even in the, the feeding of the 5,000, they're, they're the ones distributing the food. And, and they're, um, so the disciples are coming more to the foreground of Jesus's ministry here. And what we're going to see as we, as we go through this section 
is not only are we going to see, you know, more of Jesus revealing himself and teaching, but we're also going to see the disciples actually failing. And we're going to learn a lot about, about um, what it means to be a follower of Christ in these passages. Um, we're specifically going to see how Jesus is unraveling the twistedness of his disciples' hearts, revealing their lack of faith, their lack of understanding, and their impure desires and views. More specifically, we could say we're going to see Jesus teaching his disciples about what true greatness is in a person. So what's, uh, what's, if you would, let's read the passage um, here. We're going to just read um, verses 37 through 43 to start off here. So uh, this is uh, the next day. uh, It says on the next day. So this is immediately following what Prasanna was preaching on last week when Jesus took Peter, James, and John on top of the mountain and he he was transformed and Moses and Elijah were there with him, meeting with him, and they were discussing his coming uh, departure. And Peter got really excited, wanted to build three tents. You guys know the story. And then God kind of gave him his God rebuke and uh, said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him and, and puts the spotlight right back on Jesus. So starting in verse 37 of chapter nine, we read on the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. So, Coming down from the mountain and the next day we see this scene appearing here. This crowd surrounds Jesus and there's this man who's extremely distraught because his son is just having these, these issues. He doesn't, doesn't know exactly what it is, but there's some sort of spirit that comes over this, uh, this, this boy and convulses him and, 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 and tears at him. And it's, it's this awful scenario. And, um, and while he's, he's coming to Jesus, um, he's uh, begging for Jesus to heal his son. So the reason he's begging Jesus is because he says that he had brought this boy to the disciples. But the disciples, they were unable to cast out the demon. And Jesus responds here. It's very interesting he, he kind of gives a, a lament. He says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring the son, bring the son here. 
So this, this is perplexing because if we were to look back at the beginning of chapter 9, chapter 9 verse 1 says, And he, Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So something's, something's not right here. And Jesus knows that and he's lamenting. These disciples have been living and walking with Jesus and Jesus has empowered them and given them authority over all demons. And yet we have a, a young boy here who is possessed by a demon or being affected by a demon in some way and the disciples weren't able to, to cast it out. And Jesus laments. He says that they are faithless and that they are twisted. Their faith was non-existent in this moment. And they were maybe trusting in other things, obviously. If we're not putting our faith in Christ, our faith is obviously in something else. And they, there's a few options here. They, they could have been trusting in themselves, in their, in their own power, in their own abilities. They could have maybe been um, driven more by the fear of man or compulsion, whatever it is. Their, their faith was not in Christ. Their faith or, or their hope or their confidence was in something else, and it didn't work. They weren't able to cast this demon out. And we can relate to this. It's relatable for us. We can, we can all relate to times in our life, can't we? When we have not been walking in faith and trust. Any, any Christian in this room could testify that things go, things go haywire when we're not abiding in faith and trust in Christ. When we are trusting in ourselves, when we are maybe fearing man, when we're anxious, or maybe just going through the motions or whatever it may be. We can testify, we can testify to the fact that when, when faith is not there, when we're not full of faith, things don't go well. It can bring all types of struggles. But what's clear here is that Jesus wants his followers to be full of faith. This is how we are to be. This is how Christians are meant to be, full of faith. This is a crucial element in the life of a disciple. If we're not trusting in Christ, things don't go the way they're supposed to go. We don't live life the way that we're supposed to be, living life. And, in, and instead of blessing, instead of uh, power, instead of strength and hope and peace and all the things that come from faith, what comes in is anxiety or stress or anger or discouragement or despondency. You name it. But um, this is not how the story ends here. So Jesus goes on. He, he heals the, the boy, casts out the demon and restores him to his father. And again, we're seeing Jesus manifested here as the son of God right? Who has this power, who has power over all demons, power over death, power over everything. And he's revealing himself here. And everybody's, everybody's marveling at him and praising him. But there's more here. There's more. 
not only are the disciples faithless, they're, they're also twisted. And it's very interesting as we go on to the next section here, verses, uh, the second half of verse 43, it says, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask God about this. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So this is really interesting here. If we're, if we're paying attention to the text, right? Picture this scene going on here. Jesus, crowd surrounding him, desperate father, right? Wanting his, his, his only son to be healed. Jesus miraculously casts out this demon, restores this, this man, restores him to his father. And the crowds are just marveling, right? They're praising him for, for, for what he's doing. And rightfully so, because Jesus really is the son of God. He really does have all power and authority. It, and we, and it, so it's rightful praise. But it's, it's so interesting here that as this is going on, so this is, this is happening at the, at the same time. It says, but while they were all marveling at everything, at everything he was doing, he turns to his disciples and he makes sure that they mark this thing that he's saying, right? He, he says, he looks at them and he says to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. He wants them to know this, right? While the crowds are praising him, he says, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. This is really important here, right? Jesus, Jesus, who's lamenting that his disciples are faithless and, and twisted, right? And, and we've seen now their lack of faith. They're not able to cast out the demon. But now we're starting to see that there's, there's more here going on in the disciples. Not only are they having faith problems, right? They're also having heart problems too, right? And they're also, they're, they're, not, they're not fully understanding what Jesus is about. And we see this really clearly here. Because while the crowds are praising him, Jesus is very clear to point out this important truth that he's already pointed out before, that something's coming. He's going to be delivered into the hands of men, right? And, he is, and he's already said uh, prior um, in verse 21 of chapter 9, it, it said, um, after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, it says, and he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell no one saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. So Jesus is bringing up this point again. And the disciples, they don't, they don't understand it. And they're, they're fearful, right? And what, what we're seeing here is, um, what we're seeing here is the, that the disciples, they don't fully, under, as I already said, they don't fully understand who Jesus is and what he's about, right? They get the glory part. They get the power part. They get the praise part, right? They get the whole, yeah, Jesus, you're awesome. You're casting out demons. Everybody's praising you and we're your disciples. This is great. We get this part. They don't get the part where he's talking about suffering and rejection, right? This is... This is really telling here of the disciples' hearts and their minds. 
You know, it just reminds me of a story um, I wanted to share with you guys. I remember the years ago, I was, I met this Muslim man at a Walmart and um, I ended up meeting uh, up with him a couple times and uh, was trying to witness to him about Jesus. And when we got, to, we were in the, we were sitting in my car and I remember I was trying to explain to him the beauty of the son of God taking on the form of his own creations and giving his life and dying on the cross for sinners. I mean, it's just beautiful, right? To us, to those who know the gospel, that is glorious. But I remember that he was, he was appalled. I mean, he just, he just was almost, I would say, offended at the idea that God would die. I mean, to him, that just was not possible. I mean, he was like getting kind of flustered talking about it. And it's, it's interesting how this idea of the Son of God suffering and dying and being rejected, um, it's not a natural thing. It makes sense to us because we know the story, but it's not a natural thing for people to grasp, right? Our natural bent is to think that the person with power is on top, right? The weaker on the bottom, right? The one who suffers is probably because they did something wrong or they deserve it. Uh, maybe a practical worldly example of this is, you know, in the workforce, you know, sometimes we see it for those of us who have worked in secular workforces, we see, um, you know, the, maybe that, that boss who, who likes to be on top and he, and everybody's below him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't go down to the bottom of the chain and do the work of the lowly people that that's for the new guys. It's the new guy who goes and gets the coffee, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem normal for the boss to go and get the coffee. Right? Or maybe there's even the lowly employees who have that mindset. I can't wait till that day where I'm on top. I don't have to be the one to go get the coffee anymore. Right? This, is, this is how the world thinks naturally. And this is what I believe is going on here in the hearts of the disciples. They don't understand how suffering, how rejection, how death could be a part of this plan of God, right? Jesus is supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to come here and deliver. This doesn't make sense. I, uh, we don't get what you're talking about, Jesus. They were afraid to even ask him about it. But the suffering and death of Christ teaches us so much about who God is. It teaches us so much about his character. He's not just the, the God that came down here and makes everybody bow down. He's the God who came down here and gives his life for sinners so that we can come to him. And not only does this, this the suffering and, and death of Jesus teach us so much about God, right? it teaches us a lot about the Christian life as well. This is the character we're supposed to have as Christians. We're supposed to have that heart that gives of itself. But the disciples, they don't see this yet. They don't, they don't get this. They get the glory. They get the praise. They get the being on top part. They don't get the servanthood part. They don't get the part of dying. They don't get sacrifice. And this is even further emphasized as we go on to verse 46. If you would, please read with me. It says, in an argument arose among them uh, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their heart, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, 
Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives and, rece- and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. We're seeing this even more, right? Now you can, you're starting to understand more why Jesus is lamenting this, these faithless and twisted disciples, right? Because they've been walking with the Son of God. They've been listening to him and observing him, and yet they, their hearts are still not getting it. They're still not aligned with Jesus and understanding who Jesus is. And he's, he's demonstrating his glory He's telling them to mark the fact that he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And what is their response? (laughs) They start arguing with each other over who's going to be the greatest. Isn't it that same thing we were just talking about, that that top-down mentality, right? Who's going to be the top dog? That's what they want to know. That's what's on their heart. Who's going to be the greatest? This is very ironic, right? That after Jesus is modeling what real greatness is. He's telling them that he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He is on his way. The son of God, the the greatest being in the universe is on his way to give his life for, for sinners. And right after he's trying to allude to this, to them, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. They're arguing about worldly stature. They do not understand what true greatness is. They're blinded by worldly ways of thinking and being. Ways like seeing their identity in what they do, seeing their status as a rank among people, looking down on others, exalting themselves, thinking too highly of themselves. And we we too are, are guilty of that. We too are susceptible, just like the disciples, to worldly ways of thinking. In fact, I mean, no one's born a Christian. We're raised in this way of thinking, right? To, 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 to look at people like this, to think, to exalt ourselves. But it says that Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, which is really interesting. I mean, there's no place for pride as a Christian. There's no place for dishonesty the Lord knows the reasoning of our hearts. We can just come before him honestly. And, and Jesus, so wise to combat their, their debate with each other, he takes a small child and he brings it over. Now, in, in, in our society today, this doesn't have the same weight, right? We, we, we love children, right? We have a lot of um, value for children in our society. But, but in those days, children were seen, they were kind of, maybe you've heard this phrase, children are meant to, you know, be seen, not heard. But in this society, it was probably more like, we don't, you know, not to be seen much either, right? It, children were just the low, it was the lowest ranking person in society, right? They didn't have any sort of status or, or privilege. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is, is radical. We might not feel the radical weight of that here. But these men are debating who amongst them is, is the greatest. And Jesus takes this child and, and, and takes him right next to himself, welcomes him to his side. And he, and he says to them that whoever receives, and he says to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives him 
who sent me, uh, receives me, receives him who sent me. So he's talking about receiving this child, receiving a child. And then he goes on to say, for he who is the least among you all is the one who is great. So on the, uh, so what does this mean here that Jesus is saying? I, I spent a good amount of time trying to, to really ponder on this because this is pretty deep what Jesus is saying here. Children are the, are the, if, if children in this scenario are the lowest person in, in society, Jesus is saying, he's, 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 he's in, a, in a kind of roundabout way, he's saying if you receive the lowest person, you, if you welcome them, this, is, this welcoming, this receiving has the, the, the image behind it, I believe, of like hospitality, like welcoming somebody into your house. In, in, in this context, you wouldn't welcome somebody into your house and, and wait on them or serve them unless they were kind of equal to you in status or above you in status. You know, if, if someone lesser than you in society walks in, you wouldn't really do that for them. So Jesus is kind of talking in that way, like you need to receive them with honor. He's talking about the lowest person. You need to receive them with honor, with love, with respect. And if you do that, you're actually receiving me. This is amazing, right? If you receive the lowest person, you welcome them, you love them, you honor them, you respect them. You're actually doing that to Jesus. You're receiving Jesus. And if you're receiving Jesus, you're receiving the father. And one commentator said, what Jesus is kind of alluding to here is that this is God's way. This is the way of the kingdom. This is, this is what life is supposed to be like. There is no status. There's no ranking of someone on the top, someone on the bottom. There is no measuring and comparing yourself of, well, he's a little bit better than me or, oh, but he's a little bit less than me. That's worldly. That's prideful. There is none of that in God's kingdom, right? In fact, Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom is the one who is lowest, Right? As Christians, we don't have anything to boast in. The Apostle Paul says, what do we have that we have not received? Right? And if we, if we are going to be really honest with ourselves, if we're going to be really sober-minded and, and humble before God, the truth is, is that we have nothing before the Lord. We have nothing that we have not received. And anybody else that you may think, oh, they have, they have, they're prettier than me or they're more talented than me or smarter or stronger or, or wiser or whatever. They only have that because of what God has given them. So there is no ranking of value amongst God's people. And so what Jesus is pointing out here is that the greatest person in God's kingdom is one who is humble and realizes that. I'm nothing. I have no, I have nothing. There's nothing about me that makes me greater than you. And when we really realize that it puts us on this equal plane with everybody. And when we really realize the God who calls us to this, we know his character and he calls us to consider others, to consider them, to value them to consider them more significant than ourselves, as, as Paul says in, in Philippians, right? Look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the, this is the mindset that he calls us to. And uh, another story I'll share with you. I was, this, this, this was really uh, 
encouraging and convicting for me this week. And I wanted to try to, you know, I want to be more like practicing this. So I was, I was uh, catering a wedding the other night and I'm catering this wedding and, you know, on the the food line and this little, maybe, I don't know, five-year-old girl comes up to the food line and she starts asking me questions about the cupcakes that are over in the corner. Of course, that's what she's concerned about, right? Not the barbecue that I'm serving. But the cupcakes, we didn't bring the cupcakes. The cupcakes is the, the, I don't know, someone in the family made them or something. But she's leaning over and she's starting to ask questions about the cupcakes. And naturally, my natural response is, hey, kid, I'm working. All right, you know, go, go ask somebody else. I didn't bring the cupcakes. I don't know. Go figure it out. You know, wouldn't that be our natural response? Or maybe even just a polite, I don't know, sweetie, sorry, you know. But I was like, no, 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 wait a minute. I've been learning about this this week. So I tried to bend down and really listen to her question. And, uh, and I tried to, and I was like, you know, I didn't bring the cupcakes, you know. So I, I tried to walk with her to go find the lady who I knew would know. But she was nowhere to be found. And so I, it didn't really go anywhere great. If this, you think this is going to be some big meaningful story. It's not. <laughs> I couldn't find the lady. And then I tried to, exp- trying to explain that to a five-year-old that I couldn't find the lady. She's, she's lost interest in everything I'm saying. And so I'm just like, okay, I'll see you later, you know. But... <laughs> So, you know, it didn't go anywhere great, but, but I say that just to share the idea with you. And, and honestly, for all of us, if we want a practical application of what Jesus is talking about here, consider children, right? I mean, it's, how easy is it to disregard a small child? But next time a small child walks by, maybe just give them your attention. Maybe just acknowledge them. Or when they talk, just listen to them, Right? And let that just, that's just one way to apply it. But this is what Jesus is revealing to us here is that every person has an an inherent worth, right? Uh, One commentator said he thinks that the underneath what Jesus is saying here, the foundational doctrine underneath this is the image of God, right? We're all created in the image of God. Every single person has value. It doesn't matter who they are or where you think they stand in society, as Christians, we, we need to realize that every person has value. And the only thing that keeps us from doing that, actually, is worldly influence that we've taken in or, or selfish ambition. Maybe this person's not worth our time or we don't want to give of ourselves for that person or who are they or they're not interesting or they're not smart or they mean nothing, right? Those are the type of things we, we think when we reject people in that way. But again, Jesus calls us to be people who consider others, all others, any kind of others, more significant than ourselves, and who are willing to give of ourself the way Christ gave himself for us to see that person built up. This is, this is the type of heart that Jesus is, wants to cultivate in his people. And he's basically calling the disciples on the carpet here because it's just not there. They, they're, they're blind to this. They're not getting it. And it's further emphasize in our last section here that we're going to look on. The irony here and the, the failure of the disciples is more and more evident. John actually answers Jesus. So Jesus presents this situation with the child, gives this teaching. And in verse uh, 49 here, John, it says, John answers, right? Oh, I wonder what he has to say. John answers and says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. Right? I hope you're kind of seeing this pattern here. Jesus is 
patiently bearing with these, these disciples who are weak in faith and impure in heart and who just aren't, they aren't fully grasping what's going on here and what Jesus is teaching. And so John answers Jesus' teaching about, about humility and, and about valuing others. He answers this with, a, with another scenario. He proposes another scenario to him almost as a question. He's like, Master, well, we saw this other guy casting out demons in your name, but he wasn't, he wasn't one of us. So we, we, we tried to stop him. And Jesus, again, corrects them, his way of thinking. And he's like, you know, do not stop him, Right? But it's, it's interesting here if we try to think about the heart of what's going on with the disciples. Why would they stop him? I mean, this guy's casting out demons in Jesus' name. Isn't that a good thing? But again, if, we, if we're to think about what's going on here, the disciples' view of greatness is, is, is twisted, right? Their view of what it means to be a disciple is, is twisted. They have this worldly idea of, of, of greatness. They have this worldly idea of power and this worldly idea of valuing people and probably a more puffed up view of themselves than they should think. I'm imagining here that there's probably some jealousy here and there's probably some pride because um, earlier this day, who failed to cast out some demons? It was the disciples, right? They failed to do this, right? And now here's this man. He's not one of the disciples. He's not one of their privileged group, right? And so they try to stop this man who's doing it in Jesus' name, right? And this is, this is some, there's some world, more worldly ways of thinking going on here. And it might be helpful if we apply it to our own scenario here. Don't we all, or aren't we all guilty or, or, or at least wrestle with that temptation to kind of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, to kind of fence ourselves in or to, to kind of separate people out in our roles or like e- even in ministry, it's very tempting to think, um, well, I'm the person who does this ministry. I'm the person who does that ministry. I'm the person who has this role or, or, or uh, we're in the in crowd and they're in the out crowd and, and, and put up fences or walls that kind of keep people out and hold people down because we like to be on top, right? And I don't know, am I, am I, am I touching on something here? I hope I'm communicating something. It doesn't just have to be in ministry. It could be in the workforce. It could be in families. It could be anywhere. But this idea of pride or clinging to things, not wanting to see somebody else flourish, not wanting to see somebody else be used by God, not wanting to see somebody else have position or power or glory, because that, that's what I'm supposed to have. This is, this is a worldliness that we all battle with. We're all tempted to. We're all prone to this type of thinking in, in one way or another. But again, this is not of the kingdom of God. This is not of the character and heart of God, right? In the kingdom of God, we're all priests, right? We all are God's children. We all have the Holy Spirit in us. And God has made us all different with varying gifts for his purposes and his glory, and any time someone is being used by God in any way, we should exalt in it. We should, we should uh, praise it and, and rejoice in it and be thankful for it. Because we're all part of one body. We're all working towards one goal. We're all equal, <laughs> equally dependent on the same Savior. And it's only pride and jealousy and selfishness that 
that thinks anything else. And so we should want to see others growing in their faith and being used by God and, and flourishing. Because honestly, what Jesus says here, the one who's not against you is for you. But we, it's so hard to see that. That when somebody else, when God is using somebody else, when God is getting glory through somebody else's life, it benefits you. Because we're all one. We're all the same body of Christ. But think about that. How hard is it? How hard is it in our flesh to feel joyful about that? To feel joyful if somebody else, if God is using somebody else. But man, God help us to praise him for that and want that. To want to see others be used. Because if it brings glory to Jesus, it's for us, man. It's for us. And so, in this section, as we're coming to the end here, I hope you've been able to see this, this pattern here. Jesus on his ministry, revealing himself and, and teaching and, and revealing more of the kingdom of God and the character of God and the disciples failing, twisted, faithless. I hope you see this. And I hope you also see Jesus patiently bearing with them and, and, and correcting them and teaching them, confronting their doubt and their, and their perverseness of heart through his teaching and through his example, walking with them leading them and guiding them. We too, like the disciples, are in great need of stronger faith and of more pure hearts towards God and towards others. This can be so subtle and natural and we may not even realize it or think of it, how our hearts can be twisted. We, we're all, we live in a fallen world and we can all be Affected, but we are all affected by it. And maybe even in subtle ways. But we need Jesus. We need to walk with Jesus and, and hear from Jesus and let his word train us and correct us and redirect us and purify us as we walk with him. We need his help to strengthen our faith, to trust him so that we can be courageous and profitable disciples who aren't trusting in themselves, who aren't fearing others. And we need him to untwist our sinful hearts to help us to perceive who he really is, to help us to understand and to purify and align our hearts to his way, to understand what, what, what it truly means to, to have faith, what it truly means to embrace the idea of, of suffering and rejection as part of the Christian life. What it truly means to, to grasp what it means to value others and to be great. We need the Lord's help with this because we can't do it on our own. If as I was speaking here today, if, you, if any of this, this sin or faithlessness connected to you in any way, and I, I hope it did, you can't fix it on your own. You need Jesus. The disciples couldn't have fixed themselves on their own. They needed to be with Jesus. They needed to hear from him. They needed his teaching. And just in the same way we need his teaching, we need the word of God to purify us and correct us. And not only that, if we consider where Jesus was going here, Jesus was going to the cross. 
We need Jesus' death on our behalf and his resurrection to forgive us of our sins, to give us hope. And we need his Holy Spirit, whom he sent, whom he sent after his, his resurrection. We need his spirit to fill us, to change our hearts. And so we need, we, we just like the disciples are, are faithless and twisted. But through the, the help of our Savior, through walking with him and through his spirit, he will form us more and more into his image. So would you, all, would you all pray with me that God would do this in us more and more? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that um, it's comforting. It's, it's comforting to see the process of discipleship in the lives of the disciples. But though they meant, meant well, were worldly, prideful, ignorant, selfish, weak in their faith, Father, in, 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 in many ways, we can relate. And, and Lord, we, just like the disciples, we have no hope apart from you. You are the light that came into this dark world. You, you are the one who reveals what, what it really means to be great, what it, what it really means to be human. You show us that in your word, in your life. And I pray that for everybody here, myself included, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to just be more open and more humble to you, Lord, to, to let you change us from the inside out and teach us more and more about what real life is, what it really means to follow you, what it really means to have faith, what it really means to consider others, what it really means to, to love and be your disciple. Father, we, we need this more and more every day. And I pray that you would do that. I pray for this church. I pray that not only would you provide us a, a pastor, but I pray that you would conform us more and more into the image of your son in all of our lives, in all the roles that you've called us to. God, we need that. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen.